life, forgave us of our sins, and gave us eternal life, he expected us to be true followers of him, which meant that from time to time we would have to take a stand and stand up for the Lord who did so much for us. And as we stand for him, sometimes it's difficult. In the environment we live in today, basically our world is saying to us, if you want to be a Christian, that's fine. Keep it inside the walls of Good Hope Baptist Church, okay? Don't do it out here. Keep it in there. Out here where we live, don't bring you Jesus out here where we are. Keep him inside there. It's okay there, but don't bug us out here where we are. But the Lord Jesus has called us to get outside the walls of these churches and in our world that we live in and to stand for him. I want to talk about that briefly this morning. And if you'll um, look at the passage in 1 Samuel and just kind of hold your finger there, and I want to read a couple of other passages. And as I read these, note the word stand, how it's used here. For example, in uh, the book of Ephesians, and you know this passage very well, chapter 6, Listen to uh, verse 11, uh, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all, to stand. And then he talks about how stand therefore girded about, and he talks about the armor that's there. A couple of other verses in 1 Corinthians 16. Watch therefore, stand fast, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. We as followers of Jesus Christ are called upon to take a stand for God and for good. And what happens in our world today, it is difficult sometimes to do that. Go to the next screen, if you would. Um, In our world, we're called to take a stand at work, where we work during the week. We're called to take a stand at school, where we go to school, in our neighborhood, in our community. We're called to take a stand with our family, that our family may know who we are and what we're about. We're called to take a stand when it's difficult, when it's not easy. When we're in a minority and sometimes when we're all by ourselves and we're alone, we're called to take a stand. We're called to take a stand when the odds are against us, when people don't understand, when sometimes they say you look foolish doing what you're doing. We're called to take a stand when there's a risk of losing popularity, being misunderstood by others, when friends don't understand, when we feel isolated, when family doesn't understand, And we're called to take a stand when it costs us money. And sometimes when it costs us our job, we're called to take a stand. It was the city of Lakeland about two years ago when the atheist of Tampa came over here. And they said, you folks in the city of Lakeland cannot have prayer before your city council meeting. It is illegal to do that. And fortunately, we had a mayor at that time and a city council that said, no, It is legal, and we're going to do it. And they ran the risk and spent the money and went to court, and they won in court. And they changed our world because they were willing to take a stand. They were willing to stand on that. You heard the the name Hobby Lobby. In fact, there's one in Lakeland, the David Green family. 
This last year, they challenged the U.S. government that they had to support every type of birth control for their employees because they, it was a contrary to their faith. They went to court, they spent the money, and they challenged the government, and last year the Supreme Court ruled in their favor because they were willing to take a stand. They changed our world. I could give you story after story of where that's happening in our world today, and you and I are called to take a stand also. Now, the passage that the brother read a moment ago is out of the book of 1 Samuel, and it is about David and Goliath. And I just want to do a little background there. Uh, if you would, there you go, go to that screen. Now, what we find in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel is that um, there is a war going on. Well, it's trying to go on. There's not a war really going on. And what's happening is over here on this side, there are the Philistines on this mountain. And on this side, there are the Israelites. And in between, there's a little valley and a little stream. And for 40 days, the Philistines are on this mountain. The Israelites are on this mountain, and they're not fighting. But what Goliath does is he comes out, and he says, Hey, I have a proposition. You pick your best man. Send him out here to fight me. If he kills me, we'll be your servants. If I kill him, you'll be our servants. And for 40 days, the scripture says that Goliath came out and gave the challenge, and nobody on the Israeli side would move. About that time, David's daddy sent David out to check on the war. Well, there wasn't really a war going on. There was a potential war, okay? And so he comes to check on his brothers because his brothers are there. And he comes to find uh, what's going on in the war. And about the moment that he arrives is when Goliath is out making his challenge. And David said, hey, what's going on here? And they said, well, the the man said, whoever goes and challenges him and can kill him, that that uh, they would be our servants, but if he kills our best man, we'd be his servants. And David said, well, is anybody doing anything? He said, well, no, nobody's doing anything. His older brother said, hey, what are you doing here, young'un? David's only about 12, 13, maybe 14 years old. He said, what are you doing? Who's carrying those sheep? Who's taking care of those sheep on the backside of the desert? Who'd you leave them with? You've got no business here. This is not your business. You don't know what you're doing. Get out of here. David turns to somebody else, and he says, hey, uh, Again, tell me again what's happening. They said, well, let me tell you what the king said. The king said that anybody that would go out and fight Goliath and kill him, that he'll do three things. First of all, he'll give him lots of money. Secondly, he'll give him his daughter. He'll become a part of the king's um, family. And thirdly, and I like number three, he'll never have to pay taxes again. (laughs) I love number three. I love that one. That would be reason enough for me to go and try it. And so David said, I'll do it. And his brother said, no, you get out of here. You can't do this. David turns his back on his brothers, and they take him to Saul. And Saul looks at him, and he's just a small guy. He can't be, he can't be any taller than I am. I'm about 5'9". David probably is not as tall as I am because he's still growing. He's still a teenager. Yeah. And, and, and he takes him to Saul, and Saul's first remarks are, hey, man, this guy out on the field, he's been fighting since he was a boy. I mean, he's been, he, he's been schooled in, in warfare. What are you going to do against him? David said, on the backside of the desert, when I was caring for my father's sheep, there came the lion and there came the bear, and God used me to kill the lion and the bear, and I'll kill Goliath. So nobody else is volunteering. Nobody else wants this job. 
for 40 days they've been looking for somebody. This is the only one to volunteer. And so Saul, I mean, what other options does he have? He said, well, take my armor. Well, Saul was the biggest man in Israel. The Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. So here's little old David. He puts on Saul's armor, and it doesn't fit. And so David takes it off, and he leaves, and he heads down toward the valley where there's a little creek with a stick with a slingshot and five smooth stones and the courage to stand for his God when nobody else would. Brothers and sisters, we live in a day and time when there's a lot of Israelites on this hill over here that are not willing to take a stand. That we have been cowed into silence. We've been cowed into just keep your religion to yourself. And we've bought it. And we've bought it. Now, very quickly, and I don't have much time because Brother Pickett said y'all going to leave here soon. So uh, <laughs> four quick things if you're going to take a stand. Number one, if you're going to take a stand, it requires courage. Courage is inner strength. It's the idea to stand in a difficult situation. Goliath had all the advantages. I mean, if you think about Goliath, he's nine foot, nine inches tall. If David were as tall as I am, Goliath is four feet taller than I am. I mean, he's a, he's a humongous individual. He is strong. He could take David and break him over his knees. I mean, he is a strong individual. He has all the weapons in verses 5, 6, and 7. It talks about all the big weapons that Saul has got, I mean, that, uh, that uh, Goliath has got, and he's got all the firepower, and David has none of that. And the training in verse 33, how he said, from a youth, this man's been trained in warfare. But I want you to think about another advantage that uh, Goliath had. Over here in the, um, in the camp of the Philistines, what do you think they're thinking as Goliath goes out to meet little old David? Well, they're thinking, man, we got this thing whipped. I mean, this is a done deal. I mean, might as well just, you know, prepare to leave now because we're going to whip this bunch. There's confidence over here. What do you think is happening over here in Israel? There ain't no confidence over there. I mean, David's brother saying, son, you need to get out of here and go home. What, what, what are you doing here? And everybody else is saying he's the only one that volunteered, but he doesn't look too good compared to the other fella. And see, the confidence emotionally was on Goliath's side. And yet David was willing to face the criticism and the ridicule to be called fool and foolish to be called ignorant. He was willing to suffer physically and emotionally, and yes, in the modern context, financially, to take a stand for his God. Charles Stanley said, too many Christians today have a commitment of convenience. They will stay faithful as long as it is safe and doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. And I think he's, I think he's right. That we have a convenient religion today. That as long as everything is hunky-dory, we're fine with it. But when the going gets tough, well, call Pastor Pickett, okay? So it requires courage. Notice the second thing. It requires conviction. Conviction are deeply held beliefs. It is to believe the truth of God's word and to stand for God, that you believe it so much that you're willing to act upon it. Many modern Christians have few convictions today and the ones that we do have tend to be superficial we say we believe but we don't live those convictions 
and we're affected by modern social movements. We're, we're affected by the abortion movement, the homosexual movement, we're the adultery movement in our country, pornography, materialism, and hedonism. And we're affected by those, and sometimes we don't even know it, and we're affected by it. In church today, in church today, the place of the people of God who claim Jesus as Savior and Lord in the church, church members get abortions at a similar rate of those who are non-church members. Now, why? Because somebody doesn't have convictions. In the church today, the divorce rate is not equal with the population, the general population, but it is almost, it is almost. I did some recent studies on this and, um, and found that for those who attend on a regular basis, like you all, divorce rate is real low. But there are those who are members of the church who don't attend, who are not involved. The divorce rate in that population of church members is higher than the general population. Why? Because we don't have convictions. And adultery in the church today is no big deal. No big deal. Paul said to the Galatians, why is it in chapter 1 verse 6 that you so easily changed your doctrine? Why is it that you don't have the convictions that I shared with you? You heard the story of the student at Florida Atlantic University a couple of years ago when his professor said to the class, take a white piece of paper and write the name Jesus on the paper. So everybody did that. And then place it on the floor and then step on the paper on the floor. One student refused to do that. His name was Ryan Rotella. Ryan said, with all due respect to your authority as professor, I do not believe what you told us to do was appropriate. I believe it's unprofessional, and I was deeply offended by what you told me to do. He was suspended from class by the administration. Ryan Rotella, I don't even think he's a Christian. He's a Mormon. I don't think Mormons are Christians. And yet he took a stand when nobody else would. You know how many Baptists there are in Florida? There are millions of us. There had to be a Baptist in that classroom. Where was the Baptist there? He didn't take a stand. Martin Luther, as he penned the 95 Thesis, he said, Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. But it's not about a classroom, and it's not about calling attention to yourself. Taking a stand needs to be something we do in an everyday way. This last year, um, a man, I was doing a business deal with a guy. I I have a little farm down in Hardy County, and and I was doing a business with a guy, and the guy made me an offer. He said, tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a receipt as if you had paid me X amount of dollars, and you can claim it on your taxes. Now, the most hated department of the government today is the IRS. And I pay my taxes, but I don't enjoy paying my taxes, and I don't want—I don't like the way they spend my money. And um, and man, to stick a finger in the eye of the IRS is not a bad thought, you know. And uh, and I thought about it for a moment. I said, No, we, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. Why can't we do that? Because Christ is in my heart, and He's called me to a life of integrity. He's called me to a life of truthfulness. And there were just two of us, just him and me. I said to him, no, we can't do that. 
Let's do it the right way. Because, see, that's taking a stand in a small way. I have, uh, I have, Brendan and I have eight grandchildren, and our oldest is, um, is 15 going on 25. And, um, and she's, she's, she's a wonderful little lady, but, uh, but she, you know, she doesn't always dress appropriately. And, and, and sometimes I say to her, honey, you need to cover up. You're showing too much. Why do I do that? I love her. And I want to take a stand that she'll know that what Grandpa thinks and what the Bible teaches about yeah. modesty yeah. with ladies today. Yeah. See, we take a stand when we tell our children, no, you can't do that. But Daddy, Mama, everybody else is doing it. Well, that doesn't matter. You still can't do it. And as you enforce godly rules, you're taking a stand with your family. And there's so many families today that aren't doing that. And that's one reason the world is in kind of a mess we're in today. See, it takes conviction to do that. Number three, if you're going to take a stand, you not only have to have courage and conviction, but you have to have faith. Now, I'm splitting a little bit of a hair here, but faith is the idea of where you believe something to the point that you act upon it. That it's not something you just sing about on Sunday, and maybe you do it on Sunday, but you don't practice it on Monday. It's the idea that you believe it and you do it. There are a lot of folks in our churches today that do not have active faith. They believe intellectually, but they don't act upon it in their lives. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you don't do it, you don't believe it. If you don't practice it, you don't believe it. It is to trust God and to obey Him and to know that He's faithful. Maybe you remember the story of Walt Tutka. Walt Tutka was a substitute teacher in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. One day in class as he was subbing, uh, a, a kid came to him and asked him a question uh, 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 from the Bible. What does the Bible say about such and such a thing? And so Walt answered the question. And so the kid said, well, can I see that in the Bible because I don't have a Bible? So the next day, Walt brought the young man a Gideon's New Testament, and he marked the place where the guy had asked the question the day before, and he had responded to his question, he marked the place, and he gave him the Gideon's New Testament. Because he did that, he was fired from the school system, and he will never be able to substitute teach again because he took a stand when somebody asked a question about a godly principle. When you stand, when you stand, sometimes you win, and sometimes you don't win. When you stand, sometimes it turns out well, and sometimes it doesn't turn out well. But we don't stand for how it turns out. We stand because of the principles of God's Word that He has spoken to us that we're to do and to live. And when we stand with God and we stand for God and His truth, we never stand alone. I love the story of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as they're standing there and they're, they're playing the instruments and they said when the instruments play, everybody bow down to the statue and they play all the music and everybody bows except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, right. They didn't have a sign that said, we protest. They didn't shout, we don't like this. Just very quietly, they just didn't bow and bend. They said, hey, these guys, they didn't bow. And somebody said, hey, when the music starts again, you better bow or you're going to be thrown in that fiery furnace. And they played the music again, and the three didn't bow. They took them to the king, and the king said, buddy, we'll throw you in this fire. What's your God going to do for you when we throw you in the fire? 
I love their answer. We don't know. They didn't proclaim God will save us. They said, we don't know if he will save us, but we will not bow and we will not bend because it's contrary to, the, to our faith and our belief in our God. And you know the rest of that story. They threw them in the fire and God was with them and God saved them. But then there's one last point here. When you take a stand, it requires humility. See, when you take a stand, it's never about you or me. It's about God. It's about being nice and being polite. An old missionary told me, um, uh, taught me a, a lesson when Brenda and I were in Panama. And, and, and I spent a lot of time with him when I was in language school learning to speak Spanish. And, and, um, and, and, and he told me one day, he said, Robert, always tell the truth, but always be gracious when you do it. He said, Jesus always told the truth, but he was always gracious. And he quoted a verse, said, Then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said, Always tell the truth, but be nice. When I was in seminary, seminary classes went like this, that uh, we had classes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday was travel day to go to our fields where most of us had churches and were preaching. And Sunday we would preach, and then Monday would be travel day back to the seminary, and classes would start on Tuesday. Every Friday, old Dr. Brown would say to us, all right, preacher boys, don't be mean for Jesus this weekend. You know, I thought that was kind of funny and kind of odd. But uh, I later understood that you can be mean for Jesus. You can take the truth of God's word and you can beat people up with it. I mean, you can take the truth of God's word and you can be mean about it. I remember um, many years ago when I was a young preacher, I was preaching on a Sunday night, and there was a bunch of young people back in the back. And while I was trying to preach, they were writing notes, and they were whispering back and forth. And, man, the more they did that, the madder I got. And, uh, I mean, I was young. They, they ought to be listening to me, I, you know, I was thinking. So when I, I, I was so angry. I was so angry. I was just a young guy. I was so angry that at the end of the service, I called on someone to pray, and I left. The pastor room was close by, and, and I went home. Folks thought I was sick. I wasn't sick. I was mad. And, uh, and all week long, I prepared me a sermon for them. And every, I mean, every day as I was working, I could just see their faces as I prepared this sermon. And on Sunday morning, I gave them hellfire and damnation. I did. I mean, I ripped them up one side and down the other. Several said it was one of my better sermons. <laughs> but it was not. It was not. Because any time you take the word of God or God's principles and you use them to punish people that's not our job you know the group you've heard their name Westboro Baptist Church it's the group that they picket and and they protest at the funeral of of servicemen and they use pretty harsh language in talking about our government and about our military Westboro Baptist Church was here in Lakeland about two years ago uh, at graduation time. It would be two years this, this coming year at graduation. They protested in front of Kathleen High School, and they protested at First Baptist Church at the mall and, it, and a couple other churches in town. And see, Westboro Baptist Church, if you look at what they believe and what they teach, 
I'm pretty much in agreement with almost everything they believe and teach. But they're mean. They're mean. They're not winning any people to Jesus. They're pushing people away. It's so bad that when they were here two years ago, that on South Florida Avenue on the Hooters sign, they had a sign that says, We love everybody except Westboro Baptist Church. That's what they said. Now, I didn't go inside Hooters, okay? I just saw the sign. I want to make that clear, okay? I just want to clear that up. But you get the point. See, they're not, they're not enhancing the gospel. They're not enhancing the, the, the cause of Christ. They're harming the cause of Christ. And yet they're using God's word and supposedly using God's word to get the message out. We need humility and confidence, not arrogance and anger. When Daniel was asking for a change in diet, he'd been carried away from his home country. They've given him a new name. He, they're making him learn a new language. And they give him a diet that wasn't according to the Jewish diet. And Daniel went to his boss, the one that was in charge, and said, Would you please, if you go back and read the text in Daniel 1.12, would you please change our diet? He was humble and he was polite. Brothers and sisters, we need to take a stand. Our world needs to hear our voice today. They need to hear the truth of God. But we need to be nice, and we need to be polite. There's a story that illustrates this, and then I'll be through. There was a a guy in the 4th century. His name was Telemachus. Telemachus was a 4th century monk who lived in a remote village, and he spent his life tending his garden and spending time in prayer. One day he heard God say to him, Telemachus, go to Rome. So he gathered his stuff and he set out on foot. Weeks later, he arrived in Rome during a festival. He didn't know what the festival was, so he followed people to where they were going, to the Colosseum. There he saw the gladiators as they were standing in front of the emperor, and they said, we who are about to die salute you. He realized that they were going to fight to the death. And so he cried out from the stadium, in the name of Christ, stop! But nobody heard because it was kind of like being the pre-game at the football game or a basketball game. Everybody's talking and nobody really heard. After the, the game started, he climbed down over the wall, dropped onto the floor of the arena, and he began to cry out, In the name of Christ, stop! At first the people laughed because they thought it was part of the show. But then they realized it wasn't and they began to get angry. As Telemachus was pleading with the gladiators to stop, One of them plunged a sword into his body. His last words as the little man lay dying on the floor of the Colosseum were, In the name of Christ, stop. A strange thing happened. The gladiators stopped and they looked at the body of the small man. Hush fell over the Colosseum and people began to exit until it was empty of people. The year was 391 A.D. and it was the last battle to the death between the gladiators and the Roman Colosseum. One man took a stand, and he changed his world. You can change your world as you take a stand for our God. We find that as the Lord Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took a stand for you and me. He stood on Calvary's cross, and he gave his life's blood that we might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Should we not also take a stand for him this week as we live our lives? Remember the old hymn?